Hey, what's up, everybody? What's good? What's good? It's 6.54 on the East Coast. It's Friday night. Unforgiven. It's Friday night. What a, what a great week it's been. What a great week it's been, and now we are going to tie it off. We're going to tie it off. Nice little bow tie at the end. That's what that was. I don't... That's what that little corkscrewing action was. It was me tying off the end of the balloon. And letting it go. Because, of course, that's what we do. We create nightly conversations that are just... At the end, we put all of our breath, all of our spirit into these balloons, and we just let them go. And uh, hopefully they, they land on an alien planet one day and bring somebody a fair account of what's actually happened to us. Our little diary over here on, quite frankly, that you help me write every night. It's the 15th day of July, 2022, and this is the pre-show, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Frank. This is, quite frankly, the pre-show. And some of you might be asking, wow, Frank, where have you been for the last week? And um, if that is you right now, I hate to tell you, you have a Google YouTube addiction. That must be broken. Must be broken. Remember, that is the chief enemy right there. And if you have not seen me for a week, you are too reliant on the chief enemy. Our one-week suspension ends tonight. Our one-week suspension ends tonight, and um, and then the the strike expires in October. So I'll be I'll be you know riding my walking my usual tightrope from now until then and we see what can, we can get away with but please ladies and gentlemen I will as I say it after every time we have a little hiccup in our in our flow on at least that platform because it's been uninterrupted anywhere everywhere else treat every night on YouTube that we have together like it is our last and sign up at least for the free mailing list on quitefrankly.tv I rarely use that mailing list only for emergencies like when we get knocked off for a week so everybody knows to make alternative plans if you do prefer the because I understand if you prefer the YouTube platform hey listen it's it's the it's the smoothest out there they've got all the resources in the world if you know what I mean so I understand that but we need to be able to keep a separate independent line of communication so that we don't uh, lose entire weeks. Well, welcome to the show. I am so happy. We had great guests. A guest on tonight now is Timothy Alberino. He's coming back for a Friday night trip down the rabbit hole. And we are going to follow up on some discussions we had with Leo Zagami on Tuesday night. Since Leo and Timothy are very good friends, I want to expand on those themes just a little bit to investigate whether, you know, I, I want to talk about the... Uh, I want, you know, some exorcism things and the Jesuits and black masses and all that stuff. Uh, but I also want to ask some questions about psychic development. Timothy Alberino, especially since he's a guy who spent a lot of time, uh, you know, having adventures in the Amazon. That is a place where ayahuasca is not just a place where people from the West go to have a, a, um, a hallucinogenic tourist experience but it's a religious thing so i want to talk about that and perhaps we'll talk about some lost treasure and some calls maybe i don't know if matt will be stopping by but the door is open and who the hell knows thank you to blue monster prep for our uh for sponsoring the show for yet another week bluemonsterprep.com go and check them out ladies and gentlemen because it is 
it is so necessary so necessary to prepare independently outside of the system outside of the system that is now I saw some things up there in Canada they're actually sneaking insect products into bagged foods and things like that to try to get everybody did you know that you just had crickets no it was delicious Colombian decaffeinated coffee crystals blue monster prep because fuck eating bugs that should be their new motto use promo code frankly get your food get your water filtration get your communication online go ahead and do it and uh, if you don't know where to start get in touch with Pat and Gina they are superb second to none when it comes to customer service so with that being said let's go into our grab bag remember next week we start off with Sean from the SGT report and Corey Diggs on we like doing that group call that um, round table that we do that'll be a good one George Alexopoulos and Razor Fist on the same show on July the 19th nothing on the 20th right now that's where G. Edward Griffin was going to go but uh, there was no confirmation I'm sorry about that and uh, well, there's more more kind of coming up next week but we'll see what I can confirm before then um, for those of you who have been off the reservation the last week a couple of new bookings on all on July 29th it's a Friday night uh, human vibration is coming on to have a vibrational talk on August 2nd Roseanne Barr is coming back Matt Christensen he'll be back on the show August 8th it's been a long time since Matt's been on not since he's become a father the father ping trip coming back on August 19th rich Barris he's gonna be on in uh, on in July and in August I have him you know and then Leo Zagami is coming back he's already on the schedule again for August 23rd right before I go on vacation and who knows what you know what I who know who I, I bumped into yesterday I was taking the baby for a walk and I, we went up to the park, and we're walking around, and, uh, and, and it looks like a summer camp was just getting let out. And I saw a familiar figure as summer camp was all dissipating, and all, I, all the staff were going home. And it was my, my, my old player, Christian. I coached Christian and his, his sister, Christina. And, um, and I said, oh, what's going on with you? He goes, I'm the, I'm the, uh, the assistant camp director. He graduated from college. He's going to grad school. Some come, sometimes you got. I said, dude, listen, get in touch with. There's, I, I, you know, you know that uh, video I play every once in a while with me driving, and I have some of the players in my car. We're going to a tournament in, in uh, Maryland. Well, two of those players, Everett and Kevin, Kevin, those three guys, Christian, Kevin, and Ever. I'm trying to get them on a show in late late August, right before I go on vacation. They're all out of college. Some of them are coaching baseball now. Others are... I can't wait. I wait. If I can get them in the studio, that will be so awesome. That would be so awesome. Because um, they, they've been saying, Yo, Coach, let me come on your show. Since uh, they got out of Little League and they found out that I do a show. It's like, don't you dare tell anybody about this. Don't tell anybody that you found this until you're at least 16. Okay? This is my Batman identity. You only know the Bruce Wayne Frank who coaches Little League by day. All right, all right, all right. So we'll see what happens with that. Let's get into the grab bag because I have some big, great reset stuff for you. 
big great reset stuff for you. Well, the first one's not a great reset. It's just some uh, very predictable news out of Stranger Things. I, I was telling you, telling everybody from the beginning of season four, I said, you know, uh, Will is obviously gay. It's, he's obviously gay now. Everyone's like, oh, he's always no, 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 no. He's he's being set up to he, he's coming, and and now he is. Came out, said the character is gay, and he does love Mike. So just what the gay doctor ordered. It was painfully obvious with all of his, you know, because the whole the whole uh, season, slumped shoulders, gay slumped shoulders, gay crying all the time, just gay crying constantly. So my theory was that the mind flayer made him gay. That's my theory. That it was just a major psychological trauma, and Mike was just a major source of support throughout the whole thing. So it just probably turned into a sexual coping mechanism. I, I don't know. Coping mechanism. It turned sexual through coping. Maybe that's what it is. Well, you thought it was just going to be about monsters? Of course not. Of course not. <laughs> well, I'll just throw that out there. The Mind Flayer made Will gay. Okay, so here is here's some great reset news. We're going to go one after another. A lot of it is from Zero Hedge. Saudis double Russia crude imports as it prepares for BRICS inclusion. So the economic restructuring of the world continues. Saudi Arabia has a thirst for heavily discounted Russian diesel and other fuel products banned by many countries in the West. The world's largest oil exporter more than doubled the amount of Russian fuel in order uh, in the second quarter to supply power generation stations to meet surging cooling demands this summer and allow the kingdom's crude exports to increase so it's getting discounted oil from russia so that it can continue to power its own mining uh operations they're just making money hand over fist russia is doing very well and what are we doing over here what are we doing here you go. In the West, let's just stick around here. Germany. Germany energy giant warns of insolvency within days, starts draining gas from storage. Dear Biden administration, for example, uh, for an example of, of a real emergency that justifies draining a commodity reserve and not just midterm elections, which Democrats will lose in a historic route, read on. German energy giant and distressed natural gas utility Uniper which is among the companies most exposed to Russian natural gas, has started using gas it was storing for the winter after Russia cut deliveries to Europe, increasing pressure on Berlin as the German energy giant needs to, res uh, to be rescued in a few days. The country's top buyer... So, so the average person in all of these countries, including the United States, they are made to suffer because these NATO, these NATO gangsters are going are, are pushing us into an ever increasingly hotter and hotter war over an asset that they were really really liking having on the payroll that being ukraine being compromised all of a sudden we're already and then we're going to be we're going to be made germany's going to be made to bail out these energy companies that are only being choked off because of this completely contrived war between nato and and russia the stupidest, most blatant proxy war. It's just ridiculous. So that's what's going on with Germany. And then I want to really go back around to this. I mentioned it last night when Jeff Harmon was on. 
with Rob and I, but this is big, and I want to repeat it because the language is out of this world. President Macron announces that streetlights will be turned off in response to an energy crisis, a completely contrived one, once again. Despite claiming that France has little dependence on Russian gas, President Macron announced that public lighting would be turned off at night to save energy. That's going to be great. Great. Yeah, turn off. They want to, they they're preparing to, God. Electric light usage at night is probably the only time you really need it. If you have sunlight, you can get by. The gangs are going to love this one. Turning off the lights at night to save energy. Macron made the comments during a televised interview to commemorate Bastille Day. They need another one over there. Asserting that the summer, early autumn will be very hard for French people due to the war in Ukraine. This, the, they fucking, they will just, they're going to ride this one right into the stable. Macron said that a total cutoff of Russia gas was looking very likely. In response, French citizens are being told to engage in what is being, and this is why I want to bring it up. Because the terms that are being coined right now are out of this world. They want French citizens to engage in what they're calling energy sobriety. Sobriety. And prepare for even higher food prices as Macron announced public lighting will be turned off at night in some places. So the fact that Macron and all the the rest of his Goldman Sachs lapdogs are coining the term energy sobriety to get people prepared for this contri- for the later phases of this contrived anti-Russia energy crisis is astonishing. Like people have been getting fat and happy on being able to keep a well-lit apartment and cooking for themselves for too long. That's it. People have been getting fat and happy. You, you need to be sobered up a little bit. Got to be sobered up. No one said that you deserve to have the lights on in your apartment or on increasingly more dangerous streets at night, for that matter. It's just incredible. Here's another one, though, I thought was pretty interesting. Former White House physician says Biden won't finish his term. I don't know. I'm not putting money on anything anymore. I can't believe we got this far. Former White House physician Ronnie Jackson said that Joe Biden won't finish his term because his mind is too far gone. Well, this is, I mean, he was only slightly better in 2020. Jackson, who was, who was served on the White House medical team in the mid-2000s and served as personal physician to both Barack Obama and Donald Trump, made the remarks on Twitter. You remember everybody was going after him because he actually, he said that uh, Donald Trump was healthy and they wanted somebody to confirm what all of the, uh, the armchair... Doctors on CNN were diagnosing Trump as being having one debilitating disease over another from thousands of miles away. Biden won't finish his term. Everyone knows he's unfit for the job. His mind is too far gone. This can't go on any longer. He needs to resign, tweeted Ronnie Jackson. There it is on July 14th. The former physician, who is now a Texas congressman, made the comments after it was revealed that Barack Obama had sent Jackson an email chastising him for questioning Biden's cognitive ability. Quote, I have to express my disappointment at the cheap shot you took at Joe via Twitter, Obama wrote, adding it was unprofessional and beneath the office that you once held. 
that you once held. It's beneath the office that you once held. You know what else is beneath the office that you, that, you, that once was hold, held, uh, being held? Held? Uh, shacking up right next to the White House in Washington, D.C., not leaving, and setting up permanent residency to make sure that all of your stay-behinds in the White House and all the other bureaucracies that have popped up around the executive branch uh, was there to fight Donald Trump tooth and nail and, uh, and create ridiculous scandal after ridiculous scandal. Obama. I'm talking about Obama. Usually they all, no matter how bad they are, they ride off into the sunset and they spend a few years on the beach and nobody hears from them. He set up a home base right there in D.C. and kept, uh, kept working the strings. It was unprofessional. You were the personal physician to the President of the United States as well as an admiral in the U.S. Navy, Obama noted, asserting, I expected better. I hope upon reflection that you will expect more of yourself in the future. Oh, go fuck yourself. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Imagine that. You don't need to. It's right there. Well, as far as whether or not Joe Biden is going to resign, if he does one day, I know what music should be played when he gets onto Marine One for the last time and leaves, never to be seen again. And uh, the music was provided today in Palestine by the authorities over there in Palestine. The Palestine authorities, they welcome President Poopy Pants in grand style. Do you want to hear it? Here you, here you go. Here's the Palestinian authorities, the band out there that played the national anthem upon the arrival of Joe Biden. I just want to say this, 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 my friends, is why it's so important that so many of you contributed to that wonderful music scholarship program that was set up for Aaliyah Jade, uh, because all of these musicians, they should have been past this phase in middle school. That's how, okay, keep this in mind, and then I'm going to play you immediately my, my uh, niece and nephew's school band from maybe about three or four years ago when they played the Star Wars theme. Listen to this for a couple more seconds. <laughs> okay, so that's Palestine. Uh, this is Greenwich, Connecticut. Big finish. There you go. That's it. We might 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 as well send some of our middle schoolers off to Palestine. No, God forbid, go to Palestine. Just stay right here. Stay right here. You'll be better than them in a couple of years. So that's it. That's the, now that is the official Joe Biden theme song now. So with that being said, let's get this show started. Timothy Alberino's coming on. We're going to set the stage for him on the other side of the intro. So 
be well, share the show far and wide, get it out there, and we will be right back. You let one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? Let's ride! Welcome, 7.16 p.m.Z. 7.16 p.m. on the East Coast. And I'm uh, now welcoming you to the official beginning of Quite Frankly. That was the pre-show. That didn't count. Anything I said, if I, could, I, 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 I claim no responsibility for the things I said before. Who knows? But this is the real thing now. And I wanted to bring this up. We were talking about a little bit of this last night. Welcome to the show, by the way. Keep sending those Super Chats in. Quite frankly, superchat.com. We've been demonetized on YouTube permanently since uh, April of 2020. So if you want to have your thoughts on the show read aloud, then go to quite frankly, superchat.com. It is most simple. Most simple. That's the other thing uh, What so many people missed out on was the the uh, raffle for Windswept House. For those of you who didn't know, Shannon from Alabama fills WW1. So many of you are probably like, well, I wonder if I won. I feel, I feel bad, but no, you didn't. No, you didn't. Unless you were Shannon from Alabama, you didn't win. But last night we were talking a little bit about lost treasures. And when we were talking with Jeff Harmon, we spoke a little bit about, just a little bit about the New World Order, of course, a lot of Freemasonry talk was on Tuesday with Leo Zagami. But I wanted to bring this up because we are going to be talking with an adventurer tonight. And at one point, I want, might want to ask him about some of his ex, explorations, uh, his, uh, I should say, expeditions for lost treasure. Because the world is just riddled with lost treasure. We're, I was talking about that with Rob last night. What do you think we would find at the bottom of the ocean if we were to drain the seas right now? What would be there on the ocean bed? Of course, maybe also under a few feet of sediment now, too. But uh, I would spend a lot of my time in the Caribbean. I want all the gold bars and the emeralds that have been spilled over the years from all those Spanish galleons. But this is what I want to bring up tonight. Just to spend some time before we call up or get on the, the Zoom with Timothy Alberino. 
And here we go. This is from Mysterious Universe. Freemason's treasure may be buried under the center of the Washington, D.C. ellipse. There's a beautiful 52-acre uh, park south of the White House in Washington, D.C., which is sometimes referred to as President's Park South, but which, uh, but which most people know by the name which describes its perfect shape, the ellipse. Bordered by the South White House fence, Constitution Ave, and National Mall, the ellipse is open to the public, home to a number of monuments and the location of many Washington events. One in particular on January 6, 2021, has the ellipse in a new quite <laughs> bit of recent, uh, recently, but that's not why we're interested in it here. However, they have one thing in common, a conspiracy theory involving the ellipse. Although this one dates back to its beginnings in 1791 and involves a buried treasure, a meridian, and the Freemasons. The Washingtonian recently brought, brought this Don, Dan Brownish, that's the author of The Da Vinci Code, this Dan Brownish story to light and introduce the researchers who developed the conspiracy theory. But it, it's just a theory, you know? But I, it's mysterious universe, whatever. But first, let's look at the history of the ellipse. Pierre, Peter, Charles Lefant, really? Really? A French-American military engineer was commissioned by President George Washington to design the basic plan of the federal city, now known as Washington, D.C. The Lefant plan laid out the city in a now-familiar grid pattern and included locations for the president's house and open spaces, including an elliptical area known then as the White House lot due to the whitewashed wooden fence surrounding it. This true ellipse measured 1,058 feet on its east and west major axes, and 903 feet on its north-south minor axis. During the American Civil War, the grounds of the ellipse were used as, uh, as corrals for horses, mules, and cattle, and as campsites for Union troops. In 1860, it was a regular playing field for the Washington Senators baseball team, and was the site of the first game between the Senators and the Washington Nationals. However... Our story centers around a, a not home plate, but a different kind of plate, a flat stone engraved with the words U.S. Meridian 1890 at the exact geographic center of the ellipse. It refers to a plan by Thomas Jefferson to create an American prime meridian that ran through the front door of the White House while the plan was never adopted. The stone marker is still there on the so-called Jeffersonian axis. That brings us to amateur historians Alan Butler and Christopher Knight, who run a website called Washington, D.C.'s Chamber of Secrets. They explain to Washingtonian, uh, Washington, Washingtonian how they believe the Ellipse Meridian Stone is connected to the Freemasons and a buried treasure. It starts with the Freemasons, who counted many of the founder, counted, uh, accounted for many of the founders of the United States as members, including George Washington, who enlisted Freemasons to help lay out the design of Washington, D.C. But Butler and Knight point out that Freemasons are known to build and utilize secret chambers for rituals as well as for hiding and storing precious and mysterious items. Fans of Dan Brown's novels know this all well. During the presidency of Andrew Johnson in the late 1860s, Army engineers under Lieutenant Colonel Thomas Lincoln Casey were charged with maintaining Washington, D.C.'s central areas, including grading and laying out Ellipse Park. Here's a quote. 
1878 report, Casey noted that grading the land for the ellipse was well underway, but he also reported that he had not addressed the center of the ellipse because that was under the authority of the district commissioners. Casey suggested that sewage work was being undertaken at the center of the ellipse and that this did not fall within his personal remit. That's right, the U.S. Army was not allowed to approach the center of the ellipse and that the reason given was sewage work, work that is done underground. This is where Butler and Knight connect some more dots. President Andrew Johnson was a 33rd degree Scottish Rite Freemason. The sewage work could be a cover for a building or maintaining secret Freemason chambers underneath the center of the ellipse. And the center, uh, and the center is on LeFont's meridian connecting it directly to the White House. If the spot is so important, why is the meridian stone, allegedly, according to its, en- its engraving, set in 1890, so nondescript and unknown to all but a few people? The Washingtonian gives a possible answer from Knight and Butler. They said this. They write that when Pierre LeFont was <coughs> planning the, the city... The site where the Ellipse Meridian Stone now sits was considered to be the most important place in Washington, D.C. This improbable claim rests on an obscure and disputed theory of ancient measurements that was uh, proposed by an Oxford engineering professor named Alexander Thorne. In the 1950s, Thorne began, uh, or I should say Tom, Tom, began uh, obsessively surveying prehistoric structures, eventually concluding that a common unit of measurement underlies their... Geometry. He called it the megalithic yard, equivalent to about 2.72 feet. Alexander Tom claimed that many megalithic sites in Britain, Greece, Egypt, and other places support his megalithic yard theory. While more archaeologists don't see this connection and dispute the theory, it fits prominently in Knight and Butler's hidden chamber under the ellipse meridian stone idea. They claim the widest part of the ellipse measures about six, uh, 366 megalithic yards and that distances between the ellipse meridian stone and some other prominent Washington locations are exactly divisible by 366 megalithic yards. Those sites, DuPont Circle, Logan Circle, Washington Circle, Mount Vernon Square, Lafayette Park, and the White House, and others, on a map can be connected with lines to form a giant and elaborate arrow, quite definitely and deliberately pointing to the very center of the ellipse. Why an arrow? Knight and Butler say this makes it a treasure map of sorts, pointing to what is hidden in the chambers under the stone at the center of the ellipse. What kind of treasure, though? Here's another quote. In our book, Before the Pyramids, we have speculated about what secret chamber might contain, possibly treasures from below the Temple uh, Temple Mound in Jerusalem that have spent some centuries in Scotland beneath the mysterious Rosalind Chapel. Yeah, there's uh, there's a lot more. They say they find all these hidden chambers under the Temple Mound in Jerusalem. People are wondering if this is where the the treasures and a lot of the things that were kept at the Library of Alexandria were split up and spread among the world. Um, Knight and Butler admit this is just speculation, but the Washingtonian points out they also mention Enoch's Triangle of Gold from the Book of Enoch, an ancient Hebrew apocalyptic religious text tied to Enoch, great-grandfather of Noah, who is said to travel to heaven through a triangular portal, while Knight and Butler are believers in the underground chambers and see all the connections between the dots, the Washingtonian did some digging in the investigative kind. Said the following. 
Yes, there is a 116-inch circular sewer that crosses the ellipse and the White House grounds. It's the kind of thing that you could drive a bus through. Looking at the White House and ellipse grounds, I mean they were constructing major stuff under there. So we're at the end now. Journalist Elliot Carter, an expert on D.C. tunnels, confirmed the existence of sewers with a map from 1885. He says the 1880s were a busy time for Washington, D.C. infrastructure building, and the work was well covered by the media at the time. For security reasons, the works were extensively documented, and Carter says he's found nothing like a secret chamber under the ellipse meridian stone. See? Just balancing this theory out. That brings us back to the ellipse meridian stone itself. Is it so nondescript and unnoticeable because there's really nothing to describe or notice beneath it? What kind of conspiracy theory is that? Sadly, the current news about the ellipse may overshadow this for a long time to come, but remember, it's just against the law to dig on the ellipse or go uh, exploring the abandoned sewers underneath it. It's actually uh, against the law. You can't do it. So don't go doing it. But I wanted to think about, I want to put this out there because who the hell knows? I mean, we are, we've been inundated with stories of treasures all over the place. Just all over. I mean, it's um, Confederate gold, endless legends about Confederate gold that have been uh, found and then confiscated by the authorities at large. Lost catacombs, everybody talks about all over the world. Library of Alexandria, just mentioned before. There's just so much. You just don't know. I brought up National Treasure last night to see if Rob had watched it. He hadn't. But uh, that was a pretty extensive treasure that's been stored right underneath the, the, the feet of everybody in Manhattan. So maybe that's still there. You just don't know. Who does? You know who might? Timothy Alberino. Timothy Alberino is an explorer. His appetite for adventure has led him all over the planet in search of lost cities, lost civilizations, hidden treasures, and legendary creatures. He's also an avid researcher and published author. Alberino is garnered, has garnered an expansive knowledge base that enables him to dissertate with authority on a wide variety of esoteric topics, including theories on alternative history, ancient mythologies, megalithic architecture, giants, Bigfoot, and other cryptids. UFOs and alien abduction, transhumanism and emerging technologies, occult conspiracy, and Christian eschatology. Uh, it's been a little while. I, I think I think we spoke to him once after the holidays, but who knows? We have Timothy Alberino back with us tonight. Timothy, how's everything been, my friend? Hey, Frank, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. First, before we do anything, let everybody know how, how your event down in Tennessee was. I regret not being there, but I was keeping up with the Joneses from afar. It was, it was phenomenal. I mean, it was, a, it was an excellent conference. Uh, everybody who attended, I think everybody that I heard from, uh, immensely enjoy, enjoyed themselves. And um, I gave a presentation with information that uh, I've never talked about before online because much of what I said would, would be censored on YouTube. Had I, had I done a video on YouTube with the content that was in my presentation at the conference. So it was excellent. I mean, we had Gary Haven. We had um, Gary Haven, who's my partner. We're, we were making a TV series together that will be airing sometime this year, sometime probably in the late fall. Um, so he was one of the speakers, Mancow Muller, the legendary radio personality from Chicago, and Joe Allen, uh, one of the premier 
experts on transhumanism. So it was a phenomenal conference. We covered all kinds of topics. Uh, if people want to see the conference, they can go to birthrightconference.com and you can access it via video on demand, uh, or you can do a digital download, or you can order a DVD copy. I was going to ask if it's, people can watch this. So that's uh, birthrightconference.com, you said. That's right, birthrightconference.com. And is that going to now, I, I understand uh, that's based on uh, one of your, your, your recent uh, published book there, but are you going to be doing a yearly conference from now on based on the success of that, or what are you thinking? Um, I don't know that I'm, I, I don't know if I'm going to do another conference, but I probably will do some kind of um, some kind of an event. Remember, I was trying to put together that Amazon River boat yeah. trip, which still is something that I really want to do. So that's always percolating in my mind. Um, I'm also considering doing a an event here in Bozeman, Montana, where I live. So there's a lot of different things uh, on the table. Problem is right now the the economy is not conducive to travel. They're pulling out another variant. They're gonna try and get us back in masks. They're gonna try and, um, you know, it's the uh, it's the midterm elections variant that's coming. So they're going to try and reinstitute some of the COVID policies that they were doing uh, a year ago. So I've been hesitant to pull the trigger on, yeah. on anything really. And it's, and and obviously the cost of fuel is through the roof. Uh, inflation's through the roof and also airline tickets um so it's not a great time to to do events live events you're right you're right um i i considering all that and i, I was reading the news about the new midterm variant coming out ba5 they call it but hey we, we, let's we have more important things to talk about tonight first thing i have to talk to you about is i had the honor of having my first conversation with leo zagami on tuesday and knowing that you guys are close and i i said hey listen i'll i'm talking with you tonight I'm, i'll pass along your greetings well he he said a little bit more than a greeting he gave me a little bit of an email he gave me two questions to ask you and i think that this is a great way to just kick this one off uh, Leo said, regarding my friend Timothy, send my regards and just ask him about the visit we had at the Jesuit headquarters in Rome and the nearby church that they use to celebrate black masses at the Vatican. That's the first question. So I want to hear about this one. Uh, yes. Well, when I went to um, Rome uh, with my film crew, we were filming for a documentary at the time called The Unholy Sea. Um, I met up with Leo, Leo Zagami. This was the first time I ever met Leo in person. So it was, it was quite an experience. It was, uh, it was in the evening and uh, we picked Leo up from, his, uh, from where he lived in Rome. And we began to make our way toward Vatican City. We weren't far, Leo wasn't living very far from Vatican City at the time. And, uh, but this was a very unique night because it happened to be right on the heels of a terrorist attack and a threat, a terrorist threat. This was back in, I want to say it was 2016. Um, I can't remember. It was somewhere around 2016. Mm -hmm. Sorry, my, uh, my GPS watch is, uh, is uh, alerting me that a storm's coming in. Oh, let me try and turn this off. <laughs> okay. Um, so uh, we were making our way to the Vatican, and there was a, there was a terrorist threat. There was a, some kind of a threat um directed towards the vatican that evening and so what they did was 
they turned all the lights off in Vatican City. And for those who don't know, Vatican City is technically not a part of Rome. It's te technically not a part of Italy. It's, it's, it's a nation state. It's its own nation state. The Pope is, in fact, a king of Vatican City. He's the king of Vatican City. So they have their own military. Of course, they have the Swiss Guard, um, many of whom are gay, by the way. And they have their own bureaucracy, their own bank, famously, a uh, very corrupt bank. And they have their own intelligence agency. So we're driving into Vatican City, and they turned all the lights off in Vatican City. They turned all the lights off, and they deployed the military in the street. And so we are driving in at nighttime. All of the other tourists are, are evacuating. We're the only idiots driving into this scenario. And here I am, first time I've ever, I've ever met Leo Zagami. I have Leo Zagami in the vehicle with me. And we're driving into Vatican City under a terrorist threat, Jeez. under a terrorist threat, lights out. You know, and I'm, and again, I'm with Leo Zagami, who is, is sort of a notorious figure in Rome. He's a very popular fi figure in Rome. He's, he's a very controversial journalist, and Leo covers the Vatican, and especially as it pertains to Vatican scandals and uh, pedophilia and everything. And so I'm going into the Vatican, lights out with Leo Zagami in the vehicle with me, with the military running around. That's how I met Leo Zagami. And... Uh, we went in, and I can't believe they let us in. I, I was expecting the, the uh, military to turn us around, but they didn't. I mean, they were everywhere. There were military guys everywhere with automatic rifles and, and uh, flashlights and, you know, their vehicles, their armored vehicles. I thought for sure they were going to block the streets or they were going to turn us around or something, but they didn't. We just drove by them. And I don't know if it's because the vehicle we, we were in was inconspicuous or it looked like military vehicle. I, I don't remember what kind of vehicle we were in, but, but they didn't turn us around. So we, 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 we penetrated Vatican City in, in, this, in these circumstances. It was bizarre. It was surreal. And then we started to walk around Vatican City, me and Leo and, and my film crew. And again, it was lights out. It was, it was lights out at the Vatican. There were some... Like, I guess you might call them like emergency lights that egg, were like real, like exit dark lights, orange, like exit yeah, like lights. A, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Like, like, in, like you, you might have an airport or something if the main lights go out. And so um, there was nobody in Vatican City. It was just us besides the military personnel on the back roads. There was nobody. There was no there were no tourists. Everything was closed. And we were just walking around, and, and every now and again we would hear footsteps, like, you know, because uh, it's cobblestone streets, a lot of it, and you'd hear these footsteps coming, and, and suddenly this, this, this priest would just turn the corner, you know, and start walking towards you all by himself or, or like a couple of monks or something, and it was just bizarre. And we ended up um, at... We ended up at the headquarters of the Jesuits, and Leo went inside because I thought, there's no way we're going to film inside the headquarters of the Jesuits. Um, but Leo went inside, and he happened to know the guard. And I don't remember the exact details. It had something to do with the union, the police union at Vatican City or something, or in Italy, and Leo was connected with these guys. And, and the guy recognized Leo, 
and so Leo was able to convince him to let us into the building with our cameras, into the into the foyer, into the um, the entrance. And so we shot a sequence inside. Is that where this chapel was, where the black masses were? No, the chapel was across the street. Well, not really across the street. It was sort of the, the Jesuit headquarters is on the corner. And I, I can't remember the name of the street. Leo knows. But it was right on the corner and, and, and behind behind it, sort of on the street behind it, adjacent to it, I should say, uh, was this very bizarre chapel, very old chapel. And you're sort of looking down at it um, from that perspective. And uh, remember, lights out, nobody's around. We're the only people standing there. Our occasional priest would walk by or some kind of a, a official. And we've got our camera honed in on this building. And it's, it's, a, it's a strange building because, as Leo pointed out to me, it's sort of, um, it's, it's kind of, it's out of place. There's two more modern buildings to the left and to the right. And then this is a very old little chapel. And the chapel doesn't really have any doorway. So you get the sense that you'd have to go into one of the buildings, one of the adjacent buildings to get into it. Hmm. And um, Leo told me that this is where they do a lot of the satanic rituals and so forth. And and um, it was, <laughs> I'm not going to lie, it was pretty nerve-wracking. Um, I was going to say, what's, was the, what's the energy? What's the energy like? Well, I was expecting an arm, an arm contingency, an armed guard to turn the corner at any minute. You know, with some, you know, followed by some some bishop or something, and come and arrest us, um, because we were the only people besides the personnel of Vatican City. We were the only people there, and we're filming this chapel. And Leo is talking pretty loudly. You can hear his voice echoing all over this street because, again, we're the only ones there talking about how this is where the Vatican. You know, this is where the the priests and 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 the and the uh, high-ranking officials at the Vatican come and do their satanic rituals. Oh, Leo, keep it down. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> and so, um, and we walked we walked all around Vatican City and then in different parts of Rome that night, but I'll never forget that. That was a very unique, it would, that was my, again, that was my, uh, that was the first time I personally met Leo Zagami. Under those circumstances, you know, Leo dressed all in black like a vampire. Of course. Of course. Well, well, there's a second. There's a second one here. There's a second. Qu he said he. You can also ask Timothy about the testimony I got him from an Italian friend of Zachariah Sitchin, um, a friend of Licio Gelli, that used to bring artifacts from the Vatican to him via Corrado Balducci, the Exorcist. So tell me about this here. Yeah, this was a gentleman who's. Uh I believe he was once the mayor. Leo can correct me if I get this wrong. Perhaps the, I think he was the mayor of Milan or ran for mayor or something. So he's a political figure in Italy. And uh, John Mario is his name. And and um, really, really great guy. We met with uh, John Mario. Leo introduced us, and we met with John Mario, and we interviewed a an interview with him regarding Zachariah Sitchin. Uh, John Mario was very good friends with Sitchin, and, and John Mario has high-ranking contacts within Vatican City. And especially at the time, I don't know if John Mario is even alive anymore, but but um, at the time of Balducci, uh, who was the Vatican, basically the Vatican's point man on extraterrestrials and in the, in the UFO phenomenon at the time, and 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 one of the first uh, one of the first agents of the Holy See to 
to speak openly about aliens and UFOs. Balducci was. Hmm. And um, Balducci was in direct contact with Sitchin, or he was in, he, he had a correspondence with Sitchin, and John Mario was the go-between. So John Mario told us that he would go to New York to meet with Zechariah Sitchin, and Sitchin would, uh, would give him an artifact to take to Rome, and then he'd get on an airplane, he'd go to Rome and deliver the artifact to Balducci at Vatican City. And this is the kind of correspondence he had between the, the, the two of them. Um, again, he was a liaison between the two of them. And uh, he told me a lot of things about Sitchin and Balducci. And uh, he showed me some interesting pictures that had to do with other things, political things. But it's a very high ranking. He had very high, he had very, he had friends in high places, not just in Rome. And again, Leo could elaborate on this if he wanted to. I'd probably, they probably wouldn't name names or anything, but not just in Rome, but also Russia, Germany. Um, he told me that that Sitchin had confided in him that one night he was sleeping and, and he suddenly he woke up, Sitchin did, to find what he said was an Anunnaki sitting on his bed hmm. communicating with him. And uh, I don't know exactly what that means. I don't know exactly what, what, what an Anunnaki looked like or how he knew it was an Anunnaki, but that's what we were told. You know, and then various details about about Sitchin. Um, yeah, I mean, it was really it was really a, a fascinating conversation, and, and and just overall in general a fascinating trip to Rome. Well, uh, what what kind? Of, I have some man. I have I have questions about Sitchin himself. I know that we have quite a few people in the audience that have brought him up and asked questions. But what kind of artifacts, especially uh, any any artifacts from exorcism, or are we talking proof uh, or supposed proof of ancient uh, ancient astronaut theory? Probably had to do with ancient astronaut theory. Okay, and the Sumerians is what I would guess. Um, although. <sighs> I hate to disappoint your audience, but uh, I don't think that Sitchin's translations of the Sumerian cylinder seals were very accurate. Um, I I subscribe I, I subscribe to the um, to the better translations uh, and the analysis of of other people, other scholars, such as uh, Dr. Michael Heiser and others in the field who have written a lot of articles, some people have written books on detailing the, the errors that Sitchin made in his translations. And he made some pretty significant errors, and he seemed to have stretched the translations to fit this um, Anunnaki narrative, when in fact, when in fact, the narrative that Sitchin derives from the tablets actually when translated correctly, actually refers to the episode that is recorded in the Book of Enoch and alluded to in Genesis 6 in the Bible. It talks about the, the gods descending to the earth, um, what the, the Bible denominates as, as watchers, and mingling with human women and producing hybrid offspring and so forth. That's, that's really the story that's being told, not necessarily the one put forth by Sitchin. Hmm. Yeah, that, that, and that's that's a. I, we've had conversations that uh, you and I we've probably done about five or six episodes now. We've had some uh, flirting with that 
that whole conversation. A lot of a lot of uh, extraterrestrial talk, but that's something that I would love to jump into one night. Um, Another thing I was talking about with Leo, which I think would be great to open up with you now, is he was describing his uh, his experience being possessed and also um, his experience around exorcism and all that. And I, I wanted to ask you in particular, um, when it comes to faith, and I know that you are, you are very proficient in talking about the Bible and Christian eschatology, and um, all faiths, though, or at least m- most of the major religions around the world, they have some form of exorcism in their rites and rituals. And I would, I would have to imagine that um, they, I mean, I would have, uh, that they work to a certain degree or, or they have had success. My question is, what authority... Do they invoke, do non-Christian uh, cultures and, and belief systems, what authority do they invoke to expel possessing spirits if not all faiths recognize Jesus as Christ? As you said, there's, there's all kinds of exorcism rituals and rites, not just within Christianity, but also, and not just in among religious people either obviously in the religious um in the main main religions of the world each one of those religions has some kind of uh, exorc- exorcism right to deal with demons um but but also witches and warlocks and 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 covens and and these kind of um magical societies also have exorcism-like procedures to deal with demons or to try and control demons. So it's, it's, it's basically anybody that's interested in the spiritual world, whether it be a, a religion or a cult, has some way, whether contrived or, or, tra- or derived from tradition, to deal with demons and specifically with demonic, demonic possession. I think I can say with certainty, certainly from my own from my own experience that demonic possession is real um that i have personally seen it not been possessed myself but i've 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 seen the phenomenon up close and personal in peru and um it's very much like it is described in the bible i'm not familiar with how it's described in the in the quran or other religious documents but certainly it it was it was consonant with what's what's described in the biblical text um the writhing around on the ground the foaming from the mouth the just the savageness of the personality how it just changes and the person becomes very savage almost like feral Mm. um and um so every culture has had to try and figure out a way to deal with these entities again from my perspective assuming that they're real and there are things that happen in demon possession that that are difficult to explain scientifically like for example individuals who are demon possessed who can suddenly speak in different languages that they shouldn't know sometimes ancient languages um individuals sometimes even small women or children who are imbued with superhuman strength, very difficult to restrain even by several grown men. Um, other things that are, are very um, preternatural occurrences, 
um, and I've seen some of these myself. And uh, I mean, you can you can try and come up with a psychological explanation, but some of these things are just beyond a psychological explanation. Um, and especially considering that the um, the well, this is sort of a different track, but uh, the secret secret societies use demonic possession, and they 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 do what's called uh, they fracture the mind um, through trauma. So they'll fracture the mind through trauma and create multiple personalities in a in a in a in a victim. Um, and sometimes they have sought to, and I think successfully imbued some of these personalities with demonic spirits or at least imbued or at least caused the person to become demonically possessed and certain aspects of their personality um, are sort of charged with these demonic energies and and have incredible abilities um, there's been a lot of studies done on that and papers written on it and books written on it well let me ask you this uh, because you you talk so much about the transhumanism and the coming that 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 coming age um uh when it comes to the, the senses the how how open the senses are and how so much more and more the social media metaverse kind of uh experience the daily internet experience is becoming more um more accessible on a multi-sensory level what what do you have you ever spoken about the chances of possession via the internet uh chances of you know just just being able to open yourself up and taking things in and of course if they they want to be able to marry you to the equipment marry you to the chips i mean hell that that seems like a portal that would be opened always well first of all we have to understand that there's according and again i'm going to i'm going to come at this from a biblical perspective because that's what i'm most familiar with um, from the biblical perspective, there aren't there are only a limited amount of demonic entities, demonic spirits, and these these spirits, and I think we've talked about this on your show before, are very limited um, in their number and their their origin is specific. It's, it's these aren't these are not just a general denomination for any kind of um, grotesque being or or or. Um, malevolent being a demon from in the biblical context is it's a cursed spirit it's a di disembodied spirit and before the spirit was disembodied it had a body and it, and it happened that that body was the body of a hybrid giant from the from the antediluvian age from the world before the great flood according to the book of enoch and that and that these giants when they died part of their curse was that their spirits would continue to wander the earth hungry and thirsty and they would experience all the desires of the flesh but they would not have any flesh with which to satiate those desires mm. and so they would inhabit other human bodies through which to interact with the material world to feel the fabric of the material world once more and that is why they seek to possess human beings but obviously according to the biblical account, a biblical account they can also possess other living things now whether or not they can possess inanimate things i don't know but um, so there's a limited amount of demons and they have a very specific origin so uh, whether or not technology is opening us up to a, a greater prevalence of demonic possession 
I have no idea. Um, I know that Jesus re referenced when he cast out a demon from a woman, he said that she should go and, and, and not commit the sin again, or, or she would be inhabited by demons that were seven times worse. So that seems to indicate that there are certain things that a person can do or open themselves up to that make them a target for demonic possession or maybe maybe put them on the radar or maybe make them more appealing or maybe there's some kind of underlying principle that we don't entirely understand that opens somebody up to possession certainly i think we all those of us who believe in demonic possession i think we can all agree that being involved in the occult doing things like pagan ceremonies drinking blood animal sacrifices stuff like that is probably will get you down that path but again, whether the internet, whether whether activity on the internet can do that, um, I don't know. But I, I would I suspect that there are things that you can get into because when you're when you're interacting with the internet, it's it's your mind. You're not you're not physically doing anything. You're engaging your mind. So, in as much as you can open up some kind of a doorway in your mind, um, then to that degree, you might be able to become possessed through activities online but well, i don't know I, I mean who can say for sure right well and, and i will i will, will say about what we have been looking at going on out there in public is that people are certainly not speaking uh languages they're not being they have not become ar articulate in any way but they have been acting like feral uh, very feral. I mean, we, we're just—it's it, nuts out there. So there's there's plenty plenty of markers of at least obsession that is going on in yeah. modern society. But um, and also when you describe that the predisposition of the of the demonic spirits, the the disembodied spirits, and how they've been cursed, it makes a lot of sense as to why they would take the pigs over nothing at all. You know, uh, you at least drive That's us right. in, at least drive Precisely. us into the pigs. It's a, it's a sensory experience. You just at least Precisely. to be a pig. Yeah, and um, and and of course they, they they drove the pigs mad, and the pigs in, in that in the the Gadarene demoniac, which is the story we're referencing, when when Jesus encountered the the legion of demons inhabiting one one or two mans. There's two different uh, accounts there. Um, this individual would be chained up in the tombs because he would be foaming from the mouth. He was very feral, and they'd chain him up. The villagers would chain him up in the tombs, and he would howl all night, and then he would break his change, chains, and he would run around naked. And so that's the kind of activity that we're talking about, that feral, sort of insane. But it's beyond insane. It's, it's, it's a, a superhuman state. Um, and I don't know if it's because something's activated in the mind or if it's just because the person is, in, is imbued with demonic energies. Who, who knows what the science is behind what's happening with demon-possessed people. But I can tell you one thing for sure. The, the, <laughs> the exorcists at the Vatican, the, they definitely don't have any problems believing in demons. I mean, they, I think those guys see a whole lot of demon possession. Um, as, as we mentioned, Balducci himself was, uh, was an exorcist, as was the late... Um, Malachi Martin. We thought we spoke about him. I, I actually yeah. just finished reading. We had a book club over here, quite frankly, our first assembly of our book club, and we did Windswept House. Yeah. A big, big fan. Of, and you know, th this is a great. Thank you for bringing that up because here's the other issue. Last line of, last question on this before we get into something somewhat similar. I want to actually get into a little bit more of um, the Amazon and spirituality and psychic development. But when it comes to lines of defense, 
against demonic possession or any kind of spiritual attack. Modern psychology, I, I feel like we have a, a big, big problem here. And Malachi Martin actually expressed this problem many times in the 90s on Art Bell's show and things like that. We have modern psychology in one respect that doesn't acknowledge the demonic. Um, Father Martin was sounding the alarm back in the 90s about how modern clergy believe less and less in the literal existence of the devil. And then we have Leo Zagami on Tuesday night, uh, who was speaking specifically about how the rite of exorcism in places like the Catholic Church have seemed to have been deliberately made less effective. That seems like a real recipe for disaster. Yes, and, and I remember speaking to Leo about this uh, in Rome. Um, there, it's interesting because Malachi Martin was a was an exorcist. By the way, Malachi Martin is it was an not only was he a very very smart man who could speak seven languages, uh, um, he was he was also a phenomenal writer, very very good writer. Yes. His books are are both his fiction and his nonfiction books are very compelling. Um, but Malachi Martin was a exorcist within the Jesuit order. He was a Jesuit. And it was his own order that he was most concerned about. And in fact, he wrote a book called The Jesuits, which is phenomenal. It's, it's a great book, The Jesuits. Um, and the Jesuits became very, they're very intellectual. They are the intellectual backbone at the Vatican. And uh, many of them are acclaimed scientists in all the different fields, f physicists and astronomer, um, astro astronomers and astrophysicists and you know th these are these are very very learned accomplished sci scientific professionals and um and they have been moving away from a literal interpretation of scripture and certainly away from things like demonic possession and moving more towards a social gospel and moving towards um moving towards um basically moving towards marxism i'm trying to think of the liberation theology uh which is a which is a a, a marxist theology but it's it was uh now that's a whole nother conversation but liberation theology is is it's it's like basically what's being taught in the universities today mm -hmm. um so you know critical theory is what we call it today so um that's the directions the jesuits have been going in their their religion the religion of the Jesuit order and of and of the Vatican, generally speaking, although there is a war happening in the Vatican, I don't know if Leo talked to you about that, there's a war happening at the Vatican between the conservative faction and the liberal faction, the conservative faction obviously being led um, or represented by a Benedict who's still alive, and um, and then the liberal faction represented by uh, Francis by Bergoglio. So, um, but within this, with this, this within this conflict between the the conservative and the, and the liberal system, uh, the Jesuits are the primary are the primary catalyst there, and they're they're turning they're turning the the the, the traditional Catholicism of the Church of Rome they're morphing it into sort of a new religion that is more of a climate change you know marxism thing 
it's basically the religion of the of the left, the intellectual left in America. So the intelligentsia of the left. Why water down things like the? Uh, the well, I, I don't know if they had anything to do with the actual liturgy and the the the, the prayers of of the rite of exorcism being changed. But why do something like that? It seems a little. Uh, why take away that tool? Unless, of course, you, you want the infestation. Well, there's only two explanations. Either A, they just don't believe in it anymore, and they think it's just a bunch of hocus-pocus, or B, they're trying to deliberately infiltrate the church with demonic energies. Mm -hmm. Those would be the two answers, and I don't know which of those answers would be is, is accurate. And well, those are the only two that come to my mind. No, well, you were you were able to take some pictures of a chapel and uh, that has some kind of a uh, supposed alleged background that would I, I would say the latter, but uh, both would be valid. Now, here's the thing I would want to know. I would want to know expanding outward. Uh, there is this reality we were saying it before, and I asked um, with different faiths around the world, and and they're they're tapped into something. There's this reality that faith systems all over the world tap into that this ethereal power source and they combine it with human intention to change reality whether they're casting out demons or 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 you know just whatever it is we have found that human intention charged with a will especially supercharged by ritual has been able to make physical changes to the world to ourselves to spontaneous healing but the, so there's no doubt that this is a feature of the world and that world was created by God. But even though these psychic features of human consciousness can be used for good, many people consider it to be an exclusively demonic thing to, to, to try to, you know, I, I mean, out-of-body experiences, uh, remote viewing. They believe that any, the modality itself is demonic in its, uh, in its base state. So my question to you, to try to customize this for you from where you've been in your life, you've spent many years in the Amazon. Um, I'm sure you've had plenty of knowledge of people and, and their use of ayahuasca, psychic development, all of that. Uh, as an explorer, though, and as a Christian, do you think that there should be any limits to our psychic exploration? That's a good question. Um, I would stay away from psychedelics. I would stay away from mind-altering drugs. Um, I don't when you when you take um, when you take and, and I know there's a lot of proponents out there now for for psychedelics a like lot. Um, like um, God I'm sorry my brain is um, they were at is, Davos this year is moving very slowly right now but uh, like Graham Hancock and Joe Rogan and and I understand where those guys are coming from um, it's sort of like an, it's 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 an exploration done by the mind. But the problem is, for me, the primary problem is, and I never took ayahuasca for this very reason, is because when you take those when you take those psychedelics, you are you are to some extent you are rendering your ability con to control your perspective. Um, you are relinquishing, let's put it that way. You are relinquishing control over your perspective faculties, let's say. In other words, you're relinquishing control over your mind to some extent and even over your body to some extent. And, and you are opening yourself up to an experience um, in which you no longer have control. And 
when you lose your grip with reality um you're sort of you know it's like it's like being in the middle of the ocean and 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 cutting off your sails you you have no and and throwing your rudder away i mean you're you're just whatever happens is going to happen in terms of your experience some people have good experiences and some people have really 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 awful experiences and and, and you always hear about the good ones you always hear about the good ones um from rogan and maybe rogan's talked about the bad ones but um but the bad experiences are are really 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 bad terrifying and nightmarish scenarios that play out um that people are trapped in sometimes for hours on end mm. um even with like psilocybin which has a which has a higher percentage of good trips as opposed to bad trips significantly if you get a bad trip um you're in trouble you're in trouble until that experience is over and you and you don't really know what you've opened yourself up to now i'm not saying necessarily that by taking psilocybin or ayahuasca or something like that you're opening yourself up to demonic possession i don't know if that's the case or not but i do know that you are relinquishing control over your mind and you are you are um you you are willfully willingly putting yourself into a position where you can be manipulated and so if there are entities out there that that with whom you can make contact uh through the agency of these psychedelics um then then you're completely at their uh you are you are completely um you're open to whatever kind of manipulation that 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 they want to perpetrate on you so it to me it, number one it's not worth it number two i don't i want to be in command of my mind i want to be in command of my perception i do not want to lose touch with reality and there's something about that that everything inside of me says don't do that and that's all i can tell you i don't have some kind of a scientific explanation for you as to well then as, let, let me then let's let me ask you specifically about remote viewing then let's say we there's no there's no uh, a, a, uh substances involved we're not going to alter your mind but uh remote viewing is something that I, what i have I have conducted interviews over uh, time and time again is something everybody can learn it did no doubt that this seems to be a feature of our consciousness just one that we know very little about and we have been uh well, i don't know it's just we're I mean, no, nobody even teaches the power of positive thinking anymore in school, let alone what our mind can create and where we can go um, in an unconscious state. That's even without, um, uh, you know, uh, you know, ayahuasca or, or DMT or anything like that. So, uh, again, from that specific standpoint, drugs free. Um, what would you con do? You still consider that to be something as far as psychic exploration should be uh, done very seldom, if at all? No, that's a different thing altogether, remote viewing. Some people have the innate ability to remote view. And uh, I used to be pretty skeptical about remote viewing. I am no longer skeptical about remote viewing. I now believe that remote viewing is, is an ability that is, that is inherent in the human species. That is to say that the human species, that all human beings are equipped with the ability to remote view, or I should say, were equipped 
with the ability to remote view, that that's something that we have lost due to genetic degeneration. So I believe that what we what we have today are people who have, who have uh, who have been able to recover some uh, some vestige of that ability uh, and 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 you know there's not all remote viewers are made equal are equal either some some are better than others but it seems to me that the individual individuals who i've interacted with who are remote viewers are not they don't do some kind of a ritualistic thing they don't uh they don't try and context spirits um there's there's nothing pagan about their experience they simply concentrate on something that's it and they start to get impressions and that's what remote viewing is it's not like flying through space you know leaving your body and it, it's not like that at all it's 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 impressionistic it's they get impressions of things shadows outlines of things uh, even the best remote viewers and so um again i would say that remote viewing is a, is an ability a capability inherent to the human species uh, out-of-body experiences are different than remote viewing because out-of-body experiences usually involve near-death ex- a near-death experience um, or they involve some kind of uh, an, uh, uh, some kind of an occult um, ritual um, so I would separate those two things Okay. Bam. And I, I and I would also say that there are certain that you know, and I think we've talked about this before that human beings are obviously we are obviously an empathic race. That is to say that we can we can detect we can we can detect feelings without words, and animals can do this as well. Um, and again, some people have a a stronger sense. For feelings and others, some people can detect when somebody walks into a room, the person could be staring the other way, somebody walks in the room behind them, and they can instantly pick up on on anger or sadness uh, or, or some other kind of strong emotion without knowing who walked in the door. Hmm. They just feel the emotion. And again, animals are empathic as well. So... Um, we we have these what you might call them psychic abilities and indeed i i believe that the human species was inherently telepathic and i think that our telepathy our our predisposition to telepathy um more than a predisposition it's it's inherent in in my opinion in other words it's built in it was built into the design of the human being that much of these other things like remote viewing and and uh these empathic ability abilities that we have are connected to our telepathic abilities and you know if we went back far enough in time i'm i'm persuaded that if we went if we went back to the beginning that our primordial ancestors probably were communicating telepathically I always consider things like that, even uh, when you go ancient. Um, I, I, I'm sure you and I, we should, we should have another talk one night about ancient structures, megalithic structures. There's always that great, uh, if, even, in, even in the most normy sense, people are still curious as to how 
civilizations separated by oceans and no communication, no, no modern ways of communication, how are they all creating structures in similar ways, aligned in similar ways? You know, that's one of those things where you say, well, is there any kind of a mental link between the continents at that time, or is it really just a relationships with the stars? And uh, I don't know. Did, did telepathy have anything to do with the, with the almost like the coordination of ancient societies that should not have known about each other? There's any number of possibilities. Um, the, the very, the, the most rudimentary possibility is that they were indeed in contact with one another. We just, we just, we just don't know it yet, or it's being, or that fact is being hidden, or again, we just haven't discovered it yet. That's that's the the first thought. Um, but also, psychedelics may may have played a role here. Ayahuasca and and other kind of psychedelics may have played a role here. Maybe there is this sort of interconnectedness interconnectedness that human beings have um, at a fundamental level that that we are you know not to say that we're all one you know without getting into the new age concept and into new age lingo but but there is some kind of a network a mind network that that connects us all together as a species and so maybe people are picking up on things at the same time, uh, concepts uh, at the same time, different parts of the planet. Um, you know, so there's there's any number of, of things that could have been happening. Um, again, the easiest the easiest explanation is that people were in, were in contact. Hmm. They were crossing the oceans. It's a lot of people. And in fact, so. and in fact, I would say this. There's a culture, a very ancient culture in Peru, pre-Inca culture called the Moche culture. And the Moche culture, what they're known for, and people can look this up online, is Moche pottery, type in M-O-C-H-E pottery. And you're going to see um, some very exquisite pottery. And the Moche people, their artisans were very adept at depicting faces. I mean, it's astonishing. And the faces are very detailed and they're they're very careful about the shape of the face you know the size of the lips the size of the eyes and the reason why i i point out those features is because i have personally held moche pottery that depicts uh blonde haired blonde bearded scandinavians um again this is pre-inca this is a time this is pre-columbian pre-columbian is a better way to say pre-columbian um it depicts um africans both south africans and north africans in other words south africans and egyptians it portrays people who look like they're from the polynesian or or some islanders right Hmm. um and, and and it portrays people who look asian so so this is an indication that the Moche people had contact with these different cultures. And, or, I mean, why would they make a piece of pottery um, in, the, in the facsimile of a Scandinavian man, white man with beard, with a white or blonde beard and blue eyes? Why would they do that? I, so, it, yeah. I know. And dressed, by the way, dressed in Scandinavian garb. So um, this is a pre-Columbian society, meaning before Columbus. So so it's very apparent to me, and that's going to be an upcoming episode that I'm putting together in my show, 
Um, it's apparent to me that we're, we're, we have huge gaps in our knowledge of history. The, these people were in contact. Um, and, and it may be that one particular culture was traveling all over the earth and they had slaves. Um, and, and so it, didn't, it doesn't necessarily mean that all these different cultures were traveling the ocean. It could be one culture or two cultures with slaves on board from different societies, from different races. I'm looking at some of these. I'm putting the, 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 the pottery pictures up on screen right now. They, they are very, very intricate. Yes, and I was looking at one of the premier collections in Peru. It's a private collection. And, um, and, and I'm, I just pulled them up, and I'm actually seeing some of the pieces that I held. Um, you can see, if you pull up Moche pottery, and there are some fakes, so you have to be careful. You have to make sure you're looking at uh, verified Moche pottery. You can see that you have your standard Mesoamerican looking faces, but then you have, as I said, you have Scandinavian looking people. You have oftentimes you have Egyptian looking people in a lot of this, a lot of these pieces. And then you have what are, what are obviously Africans um, so then that's what this one looks like. I mean, we're, it, it really does span the content. It's, it's very, it's interesting. You said that even one does kind of seem like it has blonde hair. Um, yeah. so yeah, yeah, it's very interesting. I Yeah. Well, what is that link? There's a lot of anything. erotic, erotic stuff in there too, in the Moche pottery, because they're, they made a lot of, um, lamps, oil lamps, uh, and, and other types of artifacts that were that that the natives would place in their homes that were supposed to cause them to be it was supposed to be a sort of a, a, of a fertility charm so that's what a lot of that is it's for it's for fertility purposes and it's probably just a, probably just a form of ancient pornography too to be quite frankly but yeah. to be quite frank quite frankly it's your show <laughs> it, it could be, quite be. frank it, um well, you know, back then you don't you don't have anything uh, to get a carved in wood i guess hey well, <laughs> well, well let me ask you this because now now we have an opportunity for me to ask you a question that kind of molds everything together. We're talking about artifacts, we're talking about ancient cultures, we're talking about uh, spiritual realities, this possession, curses, all this. I know that you have been on, there's still so, so much of your, your past we have not talked about, especially when it comes to particular cryptids, um, lost cities, but speci specifically lost treasures. Before I got on the phone with you, we were talking about the theories about the lost Freemason treasure here in the United States, and we've done these kind of stories over and over again. But let me just ask you um, if there's anything that comes to mind. Do you have any stories about cursed artifacts? And uh, speaking of possession or whatever, um, have you ever been around, uh, for example, like the, whether it be in South Africa, we all know about uh, you know, Indiana Jones and his adventures, but there's also King Tut, all the, the curses of the mummies. What, what do you say about any of that stuff? Is that something that where the, a person has to believe it's happening? What if you don't know a, an artifact is cursed, but you open it up or you remove it? Do you still take on some kind of that that effect of the curse? Does it override belief? I don't know about objects being cursed. Um, I've never encountered anything like that before. But I do know that sometimes people will grave robbers and other kind of people, archaeologists and so forth, will uncover 
artifacts will dig into the ground and uncover artifacts that have been buried for a very long time, especially if they're in like a tomb or a cave, and they will mysteriously die like the next day. So this has perpetuated a myth that gold is cursed, um, that treasure is cursed, when in fact there's a, there's a scientific explanation for this. And I'm not so well versed on it that I can give you a, an accurate description, but it has something to do with a bacteria that forms uh, like uh, on the dust, on the surface of these artifacts when they're sealed and undisturbed under, under particular conditions. So that when you, when you open up a cave and when you, when you disturb the artifacts, this dust gets thrown up into the air and, and this bacteria, if it gets into your lungs, uh, it, it's fatal. Hmm. And so this, I can't tell you what it's called. Um, again, I'm not, I'm not well-versed enough on the topic to be able to, to speak with authority on it, but I do know that it is a fact. I don't know how, how rare it is. It's probably pretty rare. But I do know that if you go to... Uh, for example, if I'm in Peru and we're digging in the ground around a tomb, the natives are very nervous about it because um, they all have stories of opening up a tomb or in or opening up a cavern with treasure and somebody in the party dying under strange circumstances very quickly. I would chalk that up to them being exposed to these exotic bacterias and and um, I don't think it would have anything to do with the curse. Now, you know, I know that that might be an, an unexciting explanation, but um, whenever I am, in fact, I'm editing a piece of footage right now for one of our episodes in which we are handling bones and we're exploring a lost city up in the mountains, um, probably a lost Inca city. Um, we were very careful with handling the artifacts and digging in the ground um, everybody covered their faces, and we were we we went about it in a very systematic way, because not because we were worried about curses, but because we were we had enough knowledge uh, regarding bacteria and even even the potential of 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 opening up a grave of somebody who died of the plague. Um, even it's remote, it's a remote possibility, but you could still get catch a pathogen. You know, hundreds of years later, because certain pathogens can go dormant. And yeah. so, it's, especially if you're going to open up a tomb, you know, you have to be really careful. That's why, you know, if you're going to open up a, 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 um, uh, I'm just trying to think of the word, um, uh, let's say a burial chamber. If you're going to open up a burial chamber that's been sealed for a very long time, you can't just go in there and open the chamber and go in there like Indiana Jones. You have to air it out. You have to vent it. And if you don't, and if you try and go in right away without without the proper gear, um, then then you could you could contract very serious disease. Well, you're you get pretty a bacterial infection and pneumonia. Um, you, I mean, you, you, there's been dead bodies in there decomposing, and, there, and if there's no vents, then whatever was in there has just been stewing. Right, and that's what I'm thinking. I'm, obviously, I've never been on any of these kind of adventures, but if, if you're going to unseal something that has been airtight for hundreds of years or even longer, I mean, you're essentially walking into an alien atmosphere. You just don't, yeah, you know, you just to, don't know. You have to go in with uh, air takes. 
basically got to go in there like a fireman going into a, a building on fire. You have to go in there with air tanks. So if we ever, and we have done this on several occasions, if we're going to open a tomb or something like that, then we're going to have we're going to have that equipment on hand, and then the first guys in there are going to be breathing uh, from an oxygen tank. And if it's been sealed up, you're going to have to you're going to have to vent it out for a couple of days, and you're going to have to check you know check the atmosphere because you have different kinds of um, chemical compounds in there, and 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 you know from the the kind of gases and the kind of chemicals that are released when when flesh decays, for example, you can even have explosions if you're not careful so it's not it's not like the movies when you're when you're opening up a tomb now grave robbers uh waqueros as they call them in peru will 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 go in with just a handkerchief around their face and again it's it's rare it's a remote occurrence but those guys will die sometimes they'll die like the next day it's very fast like if you get one of these bacterial infections in your lungs you die fast with some of this and of course what do the villagers say what are the what do the the locals say it was a curse the treasure was cursed yeah. and that's you know that's a more exciting explanation but i don't i, I don't think it's the 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 correct the scientifically accurate explanation of what's actually happening well, uh, uh, Timothy, there's so much more to do with you. I want to get more into your into your treasure hunting. I want to get into lost cities, and I definitely want to talk about Bigfoot. Um, uh, anything that we can do on that, that's going to be wonderful. Uh, we have to get you back on the on the show for the end of summer and get ready for the spooky season of fall. That would be wonderful. In the meantime, can you please let people know what you're working on, what's coming up soon? Obviously, TimothyAlberino.com is the hub for all of your work, so... <laughs> I'm sending people there, but thanks again for another wonderful appearance and let people know what's coming up. Um, people can obviously go to my website or they can follow me on my YouTube channel, Timothy Albrino on YouTube. Um, Timothy Albrino on, at Timothy Albrino on Twitter and, um, and uh, Instagram. And uh, my book, Birthright. I, I actually talk about some of what we talked about today, demon possession and some of that in my book, Birthright which you can get on Amazon.com or you can get it on Walmart.com or you can get it on other book vendors online. Um, those are the primary ways to track with me. And uh, it's always a pleasure to come on and talk with you, Frank. I'm sorry that the, I was pretty tired this afternoon and my brain is not firing on all cylinders. So I, I, I apologize for that. But no, don't apologize. A little bit slower tonight than usual. It's, a, it's been a wonderful time. Uh, we, we got to talk about a lot of new material that we haven't gotten around to yet. So I, I like that we're slowly but surely, because this is dense stuff, and, um, and we're talking about the culmination of thousands of years of philosophy, of, of, uh, of, in, of you know, investigation, everything. So it's just great. It's fantastic. And, um, and I think it, was, it went over very well, and I can't wait for the next time, Timothy. Thank you again for everything, and send my best to the family. Thank you. Thank you, Frank. All right. Have a wonderful evening. Ladies and gentlemen, here we have it. We are going off into intermission land really quick. We'll be back, and I'm going to you know, put some thoughts out there about our talk. We get some of your thoughts. It's 829. We have a half hour, so I'll go into the Super Chats. Um, don't go anywhere. Don't go anywhere. We only have 30 minutes left, and then... The, the Friday evening broadcast, the Friday evening after hours programming goes live on quite frankly TV and, uh, and and that's what we're doing now. All right. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Become a sponsor of the show. 
go to quitefrankly.tv, go to sponsor us and check out all your options. Doesn't take much. A dollar a month is the least you can do and sky's the limit. But little goes a long way. Thank you for everything, ladies and gents. I will see you right after this break. Welcome to Intermission. We'll, we'll be right back. Yeah, Intermission. Quite frankly. 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 Not quite. Let's go, Brandon. I agree. Yeah. Quite frankly, in Roma, Italia. Quite frankly, you going on Frank's show tonight? I really like you. You're very smart. So everybody watch. Quite frankly. With Frank. Quite frankly. How dare you? I'll be honest with you, because you know I'm known for my transitions. I'll be honest with you, I was putting in an order, I just realized, you know what, I'm in the mood for Mexican. And I said, but this one Mexican place that I like, it is going to be closed by the time I'm out of here. I better get on Uber Eats right now. Maybe I can find them on there and get a Tampico burrito. So I went there. And I had to take time because they put the pinto beans in it. I don't want the pinto beans. I want the black beans. So black beans instead of pinto beans, please. Period. Thank you. And uh, and by the time I hit order, all of a sudden it was the, the end of the, the intermission. And I was not ready with the, the transition music. All right. Wonderful show. Wonderful show so far. We got to do a lot of nice Friday-esque things. Got a lot of heavy lifting done in the beginning of the week. I'm sure we'll have a lot more to do next week. But Friday, it's just always good to go different places. And we did that tonight. Now, a couple of things. You know, I put it out there. Um, I, 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 don't like, uh, I don't like debating or anything like that and, and holding up a whole show on, on 
disagreeing on on certain details but when it came to things like out-of-body experiences and remote viewing those people that we interviewed in the past like dr albert taylor who i hope is feeling well he was going to come back on the show and then he said that he had some serious health problems going on he didn't tell me what so i uh you know been hoping wishing him well and hopefully one day we can get back together but you know when it comes to remote viewing or even out-of-body experiences at night there was the, I don't know I'm sure that there are some occult rituals that can be performed in accordance with whatever mission you are going to be running in the ethereal plane um, the astral plane you're going to project somewhere you're going to do something you want to commune with a, a spirit uh, of course like we said before these are things that it's obvious are built into our being built into the conscious experience of our life here the universe these are real tools and just like when we have conversations about gun control what do we always talk about uh the gun didn't the, the gun didn't kill anybody it was a tool that was used it could be used for good or it could be used for evil and the fact that there's always going to be things used for evil by people who don't care about the sanctity of life and anything else, especially laws, is a reason why good people have to be well-armed and proficient with their firearms. Well, the same thing goes for psychic power, especially if, as we've been told by many people on this show, people who know, that uh, remote viewing is something that is achievable by all people. It is just something that you have to train yourself to do because we are not taught these skills we're not really really educated on how um, magnificent we are how magnificent a species we really are and uh, remote viewing yeah I mean we I mean we, we've done that it's it's about displacement you can be your body can be one place but you have traveled traversed thousands of miles to spy on a Russian on a Russian uh, installation somewhere in Moscow or Siberia, whatever the hell it is, that stuff has happened. And uh, astral projection and going out, shooting out into space and all that stuff, that's happened too. Um, and, w and without occult ritual. Now, um, I, I have heard that sometimes eating certain foods prior to going to bed and, and you have it having to trigger sleep paralysis and there's certain levels of knowing that you are about to leave your body um, certainly wasn't anything occult but then again if you don't know exactly what you're getting into and into what realm you are stepping then you are open for all types of things that you can't you can't really predict so there's that little things those little kind of things that I would contest along the way I'm sure that there are many of you out there in this audience who have different opinions about hallucinogens psilocybin and the like um but either way i think we had a a really really great time i i know i did i hope you did too let's get into the super chats let's get into those super chats first of all we have a tip on rockfin retrograde pisco says great week of shows frank youtube can kiss dicks Hope you and your family have a blessed weekend. I'll catch you on the Quite Frankly TV. Yes, I'll see you there too. I'll be eating my Tampico burrito, which will be delivered to my home. So I won't even have to go anywhere except home. And I can't wait to get back here on Monday and have and being able to report to you that the weekend went well and everybody's safe and sound and because everybody's got to do a little traveling this weekend. 
and uh, everybody's getting split up a little bit. So I always uh, I always get a little nervous about that because I like having everybody in my car, and I like being the one to drive because I believe that I am the only one that can get people places safe. That's a little bit of my ego I have to beat back and just trust that I have capable adults in my life that can also drive cars. But I just, I'm so protective. Um, let's see here. What else do I have? A little bit from, quite frankly, superchat.com, shall we? Stostube. Stostube says, have a great weekend, Frank. Thanks for a wonderful week of great media air. Media, sir. Thank you. I'm sorry. My eyes are getting worse. Dr. Radiation. Dr. Radiation says, hi, Frank. The best way to figure out demons and angels and people is to refuse sex in your dreams. If you can find your hands in your dream, uh, then you can find your uh, glorious penis as well. Find your morality in your dreams. Abstain from angel sex. This may be serious. This may be a, a serious, it could be a joke, but it also could be serious. I've heard about finding your hands, being able to call, you know, grab hold of a dream and make it a little bit more lucid. But uh, refusing sex in my dream? Oh, you have no clue what I would do for someone to offer me sex in my dream. I don't have sexy dreams. I, when I go to sleep at night, I enter into a world of just, what the fuck was that? You have no clue what I would do for a dry hand job <laughs> in my dream. <laughs> oh, anybody else have that problem? It's just like, okay, I guess it's time to go to sleep. See you tomorrow. Um, let's see. <laughs> it's just never, it never goes my way. What do you want me to say? Okay, let's see couple more kool-aid man says oh yeah frank i don't know if i ever told you but i'm classically trained pianist and that palestinian bands playing made my foreskin fall off now because of my drug problem i play vaudeville music at a bus station basement strip club really well that's that's interesting vaudeville i would i would love to listen to that but a bus station strip club huh well, I'm sorry that the Palestinian band did that to you. They were terrible. What are we going to do, though, huh? What are we going to do? What are we going to do now? All right. The Dave Empire says, For the Grift from the UK. Thank you, UK. A couple of pennies in my upturned hat. I appreciate it. Incompetent Hands. Here he is. Haven't heard from Incompetent Hands. And since I was on Timcast, when he asked the question du jour. <laughs> hey, Frank, sorry it's taken me this long. Thanks for the shout-out during the Chrissy Mayer episode. Wasn't expecting that. So cool. Glad you got a kick out of the Super Chat on Tim Pool. Had to do it. Best 25 bucks I've spent. Love you, brother. He's the one that asked about um, the Russian barber who noticed that I was thinning. Before even I did, like years before, he must have seen some sign that was undetectable for anybody except a barber. And uh, he brought that up on, on Timcast. So we were forced to talk about male pattern baldness, which is, of course, a, a sensitive subject. 
Uh, but that's incompetent hands. That's our... There you have it. Gino says, looking forward to Timothy as always. Much love to you and the family, Francis. Let's go, Yanks. Yeah, uh, I saw that the Yankees just had the game tied up. The Red Sox just tied up the game. It's the end of the fourth inning right now. 3-3. Let's see. Uh, Soberlist Thought says, is it possible that Destiny was invented to keep people from acting out? Destiny was invented? Invented to keep people from acting out. So you're talking about fate, the con a concept of fate, destiny, where everybody's on a a fixed track, and that we really don't have too much free will, or the concept of destiny or fate is the invented, the invented notion to keep people mentally from acting out. I don't know. That's something to toss to the peanut gallery and see what people think. Here's another one. B. Mullaney, 74. Mullaney says, watch out, Frank. The latest Hunter Biden iCloud leak revealed evidence that Matt, Matt, our Matt, is actually a cat person. He has been setting up Timothy this entire time. Do not trust the word he says and watch your back. Stay safe and God bless. Oh, my gosh. Oh my gosh. Now, I saw this prior to the show starting. Because this came in 13 hours ago. Remember, you can send Super Chats in between the show, so I read it the next day. Or the next time we're alive. I sent that to Matt. And he responded, Who sent you that? That's all he said. So, this response actually makes me think that Mulaney's telling me the truth. I don't know. This is just this is just what I'm thinking now. All right, look, heading over to Rumble. Open my eyes. Says thanks for a great week of content, Frank. Have a lovely weekend with your beautiful family. God bless. God bless you all too over there. Thank you so much. Rumble has been a YouTube uh, a YouTube substitute for a lot of people this week and many weeks prior to that, and I'm glad. I'm glad we have nearly 22,000 subscribers there on Rumble now. I wish that we had a place to completely mirror everything that we did on YouTube over the last 10 years. But, or almost 10 years. We're getting there. My account was, was active a lot longer than 2015 when I started doing the streaming there. But it wasn't, there's nothing really going on. Anyway... Foxhole, which we will be hanging out on for the rest of the evening. Judy the Ladypug, thank you. In Search of Truth, another another nice tip from a cookie. Cave Toad says, F the NWO, LWO, NATO, the UN, the NGOs, the Rhinos. Love the guests this week, Frank. Keep it up. Will do. Thank you, Riga Home. Judy the Ladypug, In Search of Truth again, says, Thanks, Frank. Great show. And Neo Excellent show, Frank. Tim is your second best guest. First being Zoso Duder. I can't wait until Zoso Dude does another cross-country trip. I'll tell you, I had to go into my YouTube. I'm being very strict again about deleting things that have any whiff of controversial topics that will get me taken off. 
and I had to delete a lot of things again, but I whittled it down. And one of the things, one of the episodes I'll never delete is the Zoso dude, uh, uh, Zoso dude episode, mainly because there's nothing on that episode that can get us in trouble. It's a wonderful, non-political, let's just talk about life kind of episode. It's great from start to finish. So um, from now on, we're going to be putting up select highlights on the, quite frankly, YouTube so that it's shareable, so that we can still try to make inroads with new people. Maybe something pops off and goes viral. Who knows? I don't even know if that even happens anymore. And then all of the full episodes we'll be leaving up will be strictly feel-good, safe-for-everything kind of stuff. Everything else, remember, the unabridged archives can be found on BitChute and Rumble, and I have all the archives physically saved, too. But you can listen to all the podcasts. I have not taken any of the podcasts off of the SoundCloud and all the other places that it has been RSSed, although Spotify takes down episodes on there by themselves. So there's that. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. That's, that's wonderful from Foxhole. Thank you. All right, it is 8.47. I have one, there's not a lot of time for, for calls, so what I'm gonna do is, I'm gonna uh, read you one last article that I think goes hand in hand with what we've been talking about tonight. You know, ancient excavations, uh, pieces of history, treasures. Well, here's a treasure for you. This is from the Jonathan Turley website. Ancient Roman insult Ex- excavated, excavated in North uh, in Northumberland, Phallus Saxa Locuntur, by Darren Smith, weekend contributor. An archaeological excavation in Vindalana, Vindalanda, in uh, North Northumberland, revealed again the notion that once an insult or offense is written into the public forum, it can never be successfully retracted, meaning the internet never uh, forgets. Well, neither does stone stone carvings of dicks. The subject of this Roman insult, Secundius, uh, Secund- uh, Secundinus, must have been so infamous of a cad to have invited such scorn from a nemesis. The latter resolved to carve, uh, resolved to carve into a rock the insult Secundinus Kakor, along with very prominent phallus. Okay, there's a very prominent, triumphant uh, male member. The artifact was discovered at Vindolanda site, where a third-century Roman fort Sounds a lot like Vindabona. That was another uh, Roman fort, like in the uh, the Austria, like the Vienna area. Where a third century Roman fort and settlement has provided science and uh, science and historians a treasure trove of useful examples depicting the life of the soldiery and the ordinary people of that time. The venue is part of the Hadrian's Wall Heritage Site. Volunteer Dylan Herbert made the discovery on May 19th. According to specialists in Roman epigraphy, doctors Alexander Meyer, Alex Mullen, and Roger Tomlin, the insult translates as mangled version of Secundinus Cacator. Uh, really means Secundinus the Shitter. Secundinus the Shitter. What does that mean? Of course, nobody presently knows of the writer or the underlying controversy leading up to the... Oh, so that's, that was somebody's name, Secundinus. 
leading up to the carving of the phallus, an insult to Secundinus, this, this, this bastard. Secundinus was probably a real bastard. Think of somebody in your life that is just gets under your skin every time. That's who this person was. Yet, this is unfortunately what remains 17 to 1800 years later, the only faint spark evidencing the entirety of Secundinus's life on this world. It's a bit pitiful, I might say, though if he truly was so wicked a man, he most decidedly got what he deserved. The epigraph illustrates the fact that over nearly two millennia, society and technology might change, but the people remain essentially the same. Here, a Roman was so determined to publicly defame Secundinus that he would spend considerable time, perhaps an hour or more, carefully carving this epithet into rock, especially to the depths needed to prominently circumscribe the phallus to drive home the insult. And to, and to undoubtedly then post the stone in some prominent place for as many passers-by as possible to take notice. We have a different approach today. We simply spend 15 seconds typing, Sam the bullshitter, accompanied by an emoticon of a phallus or the eggplant. Social media outlets then broadcast the affront to hundreds of thousands or even millions. Yet our Roman clearly wins the prize for crafting the more formidable insult. Far too many individuals today spend a full day acting as trolls, spewing out dozens of ephemeral insults as tweets and weblog comments that in some serve only to dilute their significance due to their volume and rather boring repetition. The Roman in this case might have been vulgar, but you have to admit he commanded more significance and value in the singular delivery. Rocks speak louder than bits, bites, and nibbles. I doubt very much some future archaeologists will 1800 years from now dig up a social media outfit's for a server farm in what was a Silicon Valley and in what was Silicon Valley and exhume an encrypted hard drive array containing the linear A equivalent of today. If it is in fact translatable, the exabytes of tweets and insults will be none more valuable or important than each of the ostraca, broken pottery pieces, piled to monumental heights within the trash dumps of large Roman cities. Yes, each might be ancient, but certainly not particularly interesting. I don't think we will find many profane tweets deserved or preserved in future exhibits. Secundinus, in closing, might have received satisfaction during his lifetime if this stone of insult was taken down and perhaps buried from public view. Yet this possibility was certain to have been undone millennia later, with the same rock removed to a uh, rock moved to a museum, completely undone. Completely undone, because now it's going to a museum, and his soul will be humiliated by countless visitors lining up to relive his vilification over and over and over again. So ladies and gentlemen, please put down the graffiti. Put down the graffiti. Put down your damn phone and go out and get yourself a chisel and a hammer and just start putting your shit into brick walls. Okay? What are they going to do? Arrest you? All right, with that being said, I thank you all so very much. I'm releasing the scratching on Foxhole. The fun is only beginning over there on QuiteFrankly.tv, so I hope you go hang out. I would also like to thank Sicily is Me for putting a very generous gift in Rumble Rants. Says, Frank, you're like family from the past life. Safe travels this weekend. My husband has the same mindset as you about driving. Very protective. Your husband and I, we know we just... 
That's just the way it is. You know, I hate to be that way because I should be like, oh, tomorrow's going to be great. I'm going to take the baby and we're going to go to a, a buddy's house of mine uh, about an hour away. His, his son is uh, celebrating his first birthday. It should be a fun day. But Lauren is going to be hours in another direction and I should just be concentrating on the fun we're going to have instead of I can't wait until tomorrow's over because I can't wait until everybody is accounted for and safe and home. That's the kind of mind prison thing you got to break out of. And I'll be working on that for the rest of the night. All right. Um, thank you over there. Thank you, everybody. We will see. Oh, wait, there's more on Rockman that just came in. Uh, Billiam, thank you for the tip. And Twisted Wizard says, love my wet dreams. Good for you, Twisted. Good for you. Fishhead Montana says, what if I told you the demons you see are the ones you need to face? Oh, well, I mean... I, it's not like I wake up from the dreams and it's not necessarily like they're demonic in nature or are you talking about in going back to our um, psychedelic conversation that once you take the psychedelics the demons you come in contact with are the ones you need to face if that's what you're talking about then that brings this to another level and I wish we had another hour to talk about it but there will be another night yes there will be indeed and I appreciate you one and all for being with me on another up and down week, mostly up. And we'll see you on Monday, starting off clean with all of our tools in the war chest. Good night. Have a wonderful weekend. Get to quitefrankly.tv. Go to the Sponsor Us tab and see how you can become a monthly sponsor. Or you can send a nice holiday card to the P.O. Box, whatever it is. Thank you for keeping us on air and keeping the operation growing which is so amazing in times like these, to be able to grow slowly but surely. That's all because of you. And um, at the very least, share me with your friends over the weekend. Share me with your family. And I'll see you and them on Monday. Nighty-night, everybody. Take care. Uh, that's not what I'm trying to do. Uh, oh, no. Fuck. No, 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 no. That's not what I was trying to do. What the hell was that? That, that was a great end. Then I just screwed up. Bye. I'll catch you on the flip side. Quite frankly, this film of our live studio audience, and now our super chatter, starting with who I just thanked. Sicily is me, and opened my eyes on Rumble. And then, last but never least, Quite frankly, Super Chat, Stostube, Dr. Radiation, Kool-Aid Man, The Dave Empire, Incompetent Hands, Gino, Soberless Thoughts, B-Mulaney 74. Thank you, guys and gals. I will see you on Monday.